Um, are you ready for God's word? Uh, why don't you? Yeah, I'm, I'm ready to. Why don't you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12? And we started a series of messages a few weeks ago called uh, Beast Mode. And, and what we said was Beast Mode is when we take on uh, difficult tasks with extraordinary strength. And we said as believers, we don't have extraordinary strength. God does. And so what we're, what we're learning to do and what we're revisiting and we're talking about is, is how to count on God's power and not just rely on our strength. Uh, we do have some strength. We do have some abilities. Those things actually came from God. But we want to talk about not living just in our strength. We want to live relying on the power of God in our families and in our businesses and at work. Um, we want to rely on the power of God as we minister to others, as we reach out, as we witness. We want to rely on the power of God. So that's what we've been talking about. And, and this week we're in 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 12. Um, Corinthians, the, the church at Corinth was started about 50 AD by the Apostle Paul at the end of his second missionary journey. And then, and then we know apparently they wrote him something and, and he had written back. And so there's, because of the, the, the clues that we see in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, we know that 1 and 2 Corinthians were not the only letters or correspondence that Paul actually wrote to the Corinthians. We see in 1 Corinthians, he's actually answering questions. Um, and, and we see that because it says, now concerning that six times, now concerning, now concerning. So he is obviously probably answering questions that they had asked of him. But after he answers those questions in first Corinthians, a lot of them reject. They don't like it. They're like, we don't like what you said. And as a pastor, I could never understand what that would be like, but I do pray for Pastor Paul, I mean, for the Apostle Paul. But anyways, I pray for him because some people didn't like what he said, and a lot of the Corinthians start moving away from him, like we reject Paul, and, and then they kind of, then they like, are, they get mean. They're like, you know, Paul is poor, and he's not a good speaker, and he's not really handsome, and they start going with, with and following these other teachers, if you will, that are a little more flamboyant, a little more charismatic, that drive Bentley camels, and and, and, and yeah, and have Rolex sundials and all types of cool stuff like that. And, and, and they kind of leave Paul behind. So then Paul goes to pay a visit to them and kind of straightens them out. And the majority of the church of Corinth comes back to Paul's teaching and recognizes his authority as an apostle. And so then he writes second Corinthians, um, to, to kind of affirm or finalize that reconciliation and assure them that he loves them and he is for them. And so second Corinthians kind of has three sections. It has the first where he's kind of finalizing that reconciliation. Then he kind of goes into a talk about forgotten generosities. And then he kind of ends by addressing the minority that still are not recognizing his authority, if you will. And so this is, this is in that section, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And so we're going to pick up reading there in verse 2. It says, I was caught up to the third heaven of 14 years. Now, time out. Okay, the third heaven, he's going to liken it or equate it to paradise. So Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. So the third heaven is the place where God is. So Paul's saying like, I've been there. Now, he's not sure if he was in his body or not, but somehow he was there, right? So, so, so this is what he's saying. I was caught up to the third heaven. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Sounds like some Friday nights I've known some people who had. Um, only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside of my body. I don't know. I was caught up to paradise, and I heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. I mean, this is an intense, like this is intense. I think Paul, in a way, is kind of saying, 
I, I know they have a Bentley camel, but did they have this experience? I think that's kind of what he's doing. So that experience is worth boasting about. I mean, how many of you know I'd write a book about it and do a TV tour and book signings if I had that? It's probably why it hasn't happened to me. But anyways, it says, um, he, said, he said, it's worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. He said, I will boast only about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. Now, I think in a way, Paul's saying, I really want to boast, but I'm really not going to. But I got something to brag about but I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to brag about it, but I'm going to tell you they have something to brag about. Like I know something you don't know. I mean, it's kind of one of those, he said, but I'm not going to do it because I, I don't want, now this is a powerful statement to be, I, I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. That's intense. Even though I've received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from being proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged God to take it away. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses. Hmm. So the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I almost feel like we just say amen and go home just after reading that right there. I mean, that is that is some powerful, powerful thoughts and, and words that he put together. I wanted so badly to call this message, every rose has its thorn. I just wanted so badly to call it that, but I didn't. I didn't because I had a better title. And so I called this message a good hurt because we're in beast mode, right? And so it's a good hurt. It's a good hurt. Can we Can we pray together? Father, thank you so much for your grace, for your word, for your truth. And God, we have gathered today because we hunger and thirst for righteousness. We have gathered today because we believe your plan for us is far greater. Or maybe there are those who have gathered today because they're just exploring the idea of faith. And God, they're just exploring the concept of God and what that could mean to them. But either way, God, we have all come searching and seeking you. Some for death, depth, some for revelation, and some for just truth. And so, God, we pray in this moment that your Holy Spirit would meet us. And, God, that you would speak your words to us and they would, they would register in our souls. They would stick in our hearts. And, God, they would change us and transform us forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, it's a good, it's a good hurt. Um, I started working out probably a little over a year or so ago. And... Um, I just needed to make some lifestyle changes. And, and so uh, in, in working out, I, I went a while, and then I started, started lifting weights. And I, I'm not one of those crazy people. I'm old. I have nothing to prove. I'm just trying to, to live. I, I decided it's interesting. Isn't it interesting you turn 40 and you start thinking not about long life but quality of life? 
because I don't want to live so long that I outlive the quality. And so now all of a sudden you make lifestyle changes based on how healthy can I be for how long so that even as I age, I have a high quality of life, right? And, and, so, and so I started working out. And, and one day in particular, I'd had leg day and it was a pretty intense leg day. And so anybody knows if you've lifted weights and you've really had a, like if you've really had leg day, like really had leg day, you kind of walk awkwardly the rest of the day. You struggle to sit down. You struggle to get out of your automobile. If someone drops something, you're like, no, you pick it up. You know, it's like, I ain't, because if I get down, I won't get back up again. Right. You know, like, you know, I know that I get knocked down. I get, no, I'm not getting back up again. I have fallen and I cannot get up. And so, um, and so I'd had one of those. And so I said, man, are you all right? And I said, yeah, it was just, it was leg day. And they're like, oh, that's a good hurt. And I was like, hold up a minute. Because see, I have a I have a pain allergy. So anytime I'm going to the doctor or anything, it's like, what are you allergic to? Pain. I'm allergic. I'm allergic to pain. And and to me, that was an oxymoron. Like there is no such thing as a as a good hurt. Those can't. But but I also understand. Like we're in beast mode. I understand the terminology. What they're saying is, it hurts, but you've gained strength through the hurt. Like, like no pain, like they used to tell us in, when we were lifting weights in high school and, and they would say no pain, no gain or playing football, no pain, no gain, you know, and you would, you'd be maxing out and you're like screaming cause it hurts. And they're like, pain is just weakness leaving your body. I'm like, man, then I want to keep it in. I don't, I don't want it to leave. I like it. I think. Um, but, but I realized that it was, it's through the pain that, that you're gaining strength. And that's kind of what I see in this text with Paul is he's saying it hurt, but it's a good hurt. And, and so I just want to look at this because I really want to start by answering the question, what, what was the thorn? And, and I think it's important that we answer that question before we go to the rest. And the reason I say that is because a lot of people have said, well, the thorn was that, that God had made him sick. And, and they, they most people that go with that theory believe that he had some type of disease or, or, or condition with his eyes. And they get those from clues in Genesis, like Genesis chapter four, where it said it's through an infirmity of, of the flesh that, that I came and I spoke to you. So, and, and because second Corinthians 12 uses infirmity and sometimes that implies sickness. Most of the time it implies weakness when then they look at it and say, well, Paul said it was through a sickness that I came to you. And then, and then like in verse 14 or verse 16, of, of Galatians 4, somewhere down there. Then it talks about these Galatians who said, we, were, we, were, we wanted to poke our eyes out and give them to you, and, which is, first of all, weird. And if you want to honor me, please don't bring me your eye. And so, um, but, but again, the, the indication was because he had something wrong with his eyes, they were being so nice to say, if we could, we would give you our eyes because you're Paul and, and you're awesome. And then when he concludes the letter to the Galatians, he says, see what big letters I'm writing with my own hand. But, but, and they kind of put all that together to say he has this disease in his eyes. And, but truthfully, truthfully, I don't, I don't, I have a hard time following that in the concept. Now, let me, let me debunk that theory. First of all, Paul goes to Lystra and then is stoned nearly to death. We read about that in the book of Acts. In fact, they thought he was dead and God raised him up. And this is like Paul. They drag him out of, Le he's in Galatia. They drag him out of Lystra. They stone him till they think he's dead. God raises him up and he goes to Darby and starts preaching the gospel, the next city in Galatia, right? Now, here's what I would say. If you just got stoned to death and then you go into a town and start preaching, you're probably gonna have puffy eyes. 
right? You're probably going to be black and blue and, and, and maybe have some problems focusing. I think we could all say being stoned would be somewhat of a traumatic experience, right? So, so I think that's probably what the, the text or those references are about. I, I think more clearly Paul tells us what the thorn is. Because we were in 2 Corinthians 12, 2 Corinthians 11, he talks about glorying in his infirmity, same word, but, but we would apply it as weakness. And when he lists the, in context what he's talking about, verses 23 through 29, talk about these type of things. He talks about imprisonments and, and stripes or beatings, shipwrecks and stonings. But never one time does he mention any type of physical sickness. Okay. And then in 2 Corinthians 12, he again talks about this thorn in the flesh. And then he says, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take pleasure. And then he, he says, here's what I'm going to take pleasure in, hardships and and persecutions and difficulties, which we, we just read that verse together. And so Paul never mentions sickness. Now, here's why I think it's important. Um, because if, if, if God is allowing something in Paul's life that Jesus paid to redeem, then we have conditional redemption. And, and so I think it's important because I don't think you can have faith until you really have a revelation of God or understand what God is saying. In other words, you can't have faith till you know what God wants to do or know who God is. Or you, you can't have faith without knowing the will of God, if you will. And so, and so for us, I think if all of a sudden God can give us things that Jesus paid to redeem, that to me creates bigger problems. Be, because now God may have allowed his son to be tortured and by his stripes I'm healed, but sometimes God wants me to be sick. So how could I ever pray for healing? And so I think it's important to understand that God, I believe redemption is, is absolute and that God doesn't bring things that he's redeemed us from against us. I'm not saying the enemy won't, but I'm saying God doesn't allow that, that, that if, if, if it was his will to redeem us from it, it is his will to redeem us from it. Are you with me? And so I think what Paul's talking about, this, this thorn, if you will, is the opposition that he faces from preaching the gospel. It's the opposition to his faith. It's, it's the persecution. It's the hardships that being a follower of Jesus has brought into his life. And remember when Paul was, was called, remember God told the servant who prayed for Paul that he would receive his sight again after he had this encounter with God. And he told him, he said, I've already shown him the things that he will suffer for my namesake. And so in other words, Paul, so, so now what did God tell us we would suffer? We will suffer per persecution because of our faith in Christ. We will go through difficulty because Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble. And they said, but take heart, I've overcome the world, but it's not going to stop all the trouble. Are you with me? And so I think it's important that we understand that as followers of Jesus, just like Paul, we're going to have a thorn. Or since we're in Texas, there's going to be a burr in your saddle at some point. And that God isn't always just going to make that disappear. He's not always going to make that go away. And the more I thought about this text, he said there was a, a, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan that was sent to torment me. And all of a sudden, it's, it's kind of interesting that, that God, Satan, moved against Paul and God saw a redemptive value in it and chose not to stop it. Isn't it crazy that Satan works for God on his best day? 
Like God, God needs to redeem mankind. So Jesus, the lamb has to be slain, but God's not going to kill him. So Satan kills him thinking if I kill him, I'll stop it. But in killing him, he opened the door for the whole resurrection. I think one theologian said, if Satan would have known the cost of killing the Messiah, he would have killed anyone who tried to kill the Messiah. On his best day, he works for God. And so here Satan moves against Paul and God's like, I'm not going to stop it because what comes out of it is more powerful than if I just stopped it. And I got to thinking about this word, a messenger of Satan was sent to torment, torment. And I thought about how God, I thought, okay, if God didn't stop it, it was because there was redemptive value in it. And so maybe what God saw, what Paul saw is there was a messenger of Satan sent to torment me. And God said, no, I'm going to let your torment, now reverse the syllables, mentor you. That Satan came to torment, I'm going to mentor. And so with that kind of context, write write these three things down. Number one, God puts things in our lives that drive us to him. God puts things and allows things in our lives that, that drive us to him. Um, in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul says this, I was given a thorn in my flesh. It's interesting because he uses the word given like, like it was like a good thing, isn't it? Like I was given, I was given a thorn. Um, can, can, I, need to, I need to say something that I hear a lot as a pastor that I think is... You know, in, in The Princess Bride, where I think it's Mentoya, Nego Mentoya says, I don't think that word means what you think that word means. There are people that I've heard, well-intentioned, not necessarily bad, but just to clarify, they'll say, well, you know, I know the Lord said he'd never give me more than I can bear. Let me help you with that. He never said that. Like sometimes I want to do a series, things God never said, but he gets credit for all the time, Right. God never said he wouldn't give you more than you can bear. They get it from the the scripture where Paul in 1 Corinthians says that he will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. But, But giving us, in other words, us enduring hardship and being tempted. Like, here's the grace of God. He will never allow you to be tempted above what you can bear. In other words, he will hold back the enemy's temptation to a level that he knows you can win. Now, that's grace. It's a different kind of grace, but that's grace, right? But, but when people say, well, I know he won't give me more than I can bear, that's a verse that is not in the Bible. It is not in the Bible. And let me help you with this. God will always make sure that you have more than you can bear because it is in that tension of having something, having more than you can deal with. That is when we seek him. He's always going to make sure that some fit is hitting the shan. Are you with me? Like this is the mercy of God that he is never going to allow you to live. He's never going to lead you to a place. He's never allow you going to, you're never going to get to a place that you don't need him. I remember when we started the church, I just kept thinking, number one, I thought, Lord, if, there, if the church was ever at a place where it could pay us a salary where we weren't starving to death, that would be awesome. And then we got a salary. And then I thought, God, if we could hire somebody, that would be amazing. God, if we could hire another pastor. Oh Lord, God, if we could hire two pastors. God, if we could hire some administration. God, if we could, God, if we had offices. God, if we had bigger offices. God, if we had a bigger, and what I found is there is no end to how much we need God. That every graduation is just a new opportunity to need God in a new way. That God is never going to get me to a place that, that I don't need him. God is going to constantly rid me of self-sufficiency. Like for God, self-sufficiency 
is an enemy of God. Because if you think about it, isn't that at, at its grassroots, isn't that pretty much what pride is? Isn't pride really thinking you can do it without God? Isn't pride really thinking you can live without God? You can live your life. You don't really need God. Isn't pride kind of the ones that thinks I'll put God over here in the religion box and then I'll go do my life and live it the way that I want to and make the decisions I want to and just kind of have fun. This is about me. This is about what I want to do. It's about my life. You know, um, thank you, Bon Jovi. It's my life now or never. You know, I'm, I'm not going to live forever. Have y'all ever heard that? It's a great Bon Jovi song. Anyways, um, and so we get over here and we're like, we're like living our life. And then something happens like, well, where's the God box? Oh, I left it at church. I'll go find it. And then things are okay. And then we're over here living our life. And you haven't figured out that one way or the other, it will be something, but you're always going to need the God box. And God's trying to merge the two so that he's a part of your life all the time. So he doesn't have to keep letting you run into the wall. So you remember to go find him again. Because pride, isn't it so arrogant to believe that I could live my life without God? And so here's what Paul's saying. He's like, I had all these great revelations, too, too, too big and, and too expansive and too magnificent to even try to talk about. And I think Paul was saying, I could have been self-sufficient. I could have been built up in pride, but thank God he gave me a thorn. And that thorn kept me going back to him. Because my life was never intended to be lived apart from God. It was always intended to be lived in tandem with God. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. He says, he says, we don't want you to be uninformed. This is the same letter, by the way. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond the ability to endure, so that we, we, we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. So can we just say this is pretty grave? And then all of a sudden he said, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Like God, God will make sure if we, if we have acknowledged faith in him and even we have it, if we have it, God's going to put things in our life where we have opportunity to seek him. Whether we believe in him or whether we don't believe in him, God is trying to reveal himself to us and trying to reveal more of himself. And, and he wants us to rely on him. What do we rely on him? Well, we rely on him for understanding, right? Uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. We rely on him for guidance. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. We, 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 we rely on God for comfort. God, P Peter said, cast all your anxiety on him. We rely on God for, for provision. My God so, shall supply all your needs. We rely on God for strength. Isaiah says, fear not and don't be dismayed. God, don't be dismayed. God will strengthen you. We, were, we rely on God for safety, right? The name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run in and are safe. And we rely on God for what we're supposed to be doing with our lives, our calling. Jeremiah says, I know the plans that I have for you. They're plans for good. They're plans to prosper you. They're not plans for evil. They're plans to give you a hope and a future. We rely on God for all of these things. And what Paul said is, I, I'm going to glory in these infirmities. I, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to take pleasure in a little hardship because it kept me going back to God when I could have been built up and I could could have become self-sufficient. God has found a way to keep something in my life that drives me back to him. Very seldom do we celebrate those things, yet those things in and of themselves are the grace of God. So God will put things in our lives that drive us back to him. Here's the second thing. God uses difficulty to display goodness. 
God uses difficulty to display goodness. Paul said this in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 12. He said, each time that I prayed, Jesus said the same thing. <laughs> My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. My grace is all you need. My power. So here's what Paul said. Paul went to him and kept saying, deliver me, deliver me, deliver me. And Jesus kept saying, no, no, no. I know, I know you probably haven't had this experience, but I personally have had the experience where I keep praying the same thing, hoping God will change his mind. Now, it's probably just me and my immaturity, but aren't we all a little bit tempted sometimes like, God, maybe you didn't quite hear me. And then sometimes we learn a scripture, like if I put a scripture with it, God. <laughs> How about I sing a worship song and then ask? <laughs> and each time God returns with, like God, God returns with this idea of, th think about this, Paul, I could deliver you, but instead I want to keep you through. Because there is power that we see. God's power is seen in deliverance. But there's also another side of God's power in sustaining us through something that God sees as redemptive for our souls. And, and, and here's the truth of it is, can I just be honest? The deliverance usually comes for the immature, right? And, and this other usually comes when God's growing us up, like grace for grownups. And, and isn't it true because like here we are, we've been serving God, life group leader on a serve team, like we help plant the church, whatever the case may be. And, and we have been we've been following God for 100 years. Right. And, and we got laid off and it's been a year and we haven't we haven't haven't even gotten a nibble. Right. And then someone who got saved yesterday. They weren't even laid off, but they got a promotion that tripled their salary. And they come to life group and say, guys, I got to tell you, this Jesus stuff works. Like I got saved Sunday and now, now I got three times my salary. And you're over there like, you need to shut your mouth. I just got to testify. Guys, I'm going to testify you with something in just a minute. I'm going to help you testify. I'm going to testify about shutting you up. That's what I'm going to testify about. But isn't it true? Sometimes as we're growing in faith and that deliverance comes and that power of sin, that deliverance comes, we start thinking this is what God will do all the time. But Paul came to a place where Jesus said, I'm not going to deliver you. I'm going to keep you through it. Like here is a new level of maturity. This is a new level of growth. This is a good hurt, Paul. This is something you're going to gain through. See, sometimes God will let us walk through things when we can gain through it and he can glory from it. And so that's what Paul says here is that, that Paul, I'm going to let you, I think the litmus test for, for our maturity sometimes is our response to pain. Like our response when, when God doesn't deliver immediately. I think sometimes that, that becomes the test, the test of our maturity. And, and can I help you with something? The, if you've made God your adversary, then you are operating under deception. Because that is the temptation. In fact, I'm not sure the thorn, I, I don't, you know, the thorn is persecution, but I don't think the thorn is the biggest problem. I think what Paul could have possibly thought about the thorn is the problem. 
And I think this is where we battle. Let's just be honest. Because when all of a sudden there isn't that deliverance and God is trying to give us his power to keep us through it, but we don't like it. Can we just be honest? We don't like it. And all of a sudden we start thinking, well, God doesn't love me. God has left me because here comes the enemy, right? He's a messenger of Satan who continually strikes. That's what that word torment actually means in the Greek, who keeps striking us. And every day we get up and face that thing and, and we hear this, this voice saying, you know what? God doesn't care. You know what? God's not with you. You know what? God's left you. You know what? I think God's laughing at you. You know what? God's never going to help you again. God doesn't see any value in you. And I think that's the real, the real struggle. And the problem is when we start listening to that, we'll make God our adversary. And the moment we do that, we're in deception. Is that not what he did to Adam and Eve? The moment he convinced them that God was keeping something from them, he's keeping that deliverance. He's keeping his power. He is holding back. When the word of God says, obviously, very clearly, I will not withhold any good thing from those who walk uprightly. That's a word from God. But he will convince us. And, and the moment God becomes our adversary, we're in trouble. We're deceived. Now, we will never stand and tell God we think he's our adversary. We will just respond to God as though he is our adversary. Like, we won't stand up and say, God, you're a big cotton-headed ninny-muggins. <laughs> like, we, <laughs> we won't say that. But we respond to God as though he's the enemy. And what does that look like? Well, you know, I just don't think I'm going to worship. I'm not going to go to church anymore. I just, and, and we just, you know, I've been really busy. I've just had some things walking through, just trying to figure some things out. And what we're actually doing is we're treating God as though he's the enemy. We're not being honest with us because we know not to call God the enemy. We're smart enough for that one. But all of a sudden it's like, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm going to go to life group. I don't think I'm going to worship today. I, I, you know, I just, I don't, I'm not going to do my quiet time this week. I just, you know, I just don't feel like it. You know, I, I, you know what, I, I got this great, you know, you know, Hillsong just released a good album uh, and I've been jamming to that. But, you know, I think I'm just going to put something else in like Hank Williams. There's a tear in my beer. I think I feel more connected to that right now than I do Hillsong. <laughs> and, and, and we don't say that God is the enemy, but we, we actually push God away because we say we can't trust him. And, and there's got to, we don't say it, we feel it and we respond to him as such. And here's the danger. The enemy's one, because the moment I distance myself from God, I have distanced myself from his redemptive power through whatever thorn I'm encountering at the time. Like it is, it is, and I think that's what Paul probably had to battle with more than anything was, was, was trying to figure out how, how to deal with the fact that God wasn't delivering him, but God wanted to keep him through it. And then here's what Paul did. Was, he brought his pain to God. Now we, we typically get that part right and you should, but when God said no, when God said no, he accepted, he accepted God's response and said, then I'm going to brag about it. I'm going to boast about it. I'm going to take pleasure in it. Paul was legit, y'all. Like, you think about that. Like, Paul had this revelation. Oh, okay. Satan came against me, and, and God, you feel like it's got redemptive value for me, so I'm just going to enjoy the journey. If that were me, you would hear me crying from my house at your house. 
But what maturity this is to discern what God is working together for your good in your life. Um, here's what I think Paul said is he said his grace is sufficient. In other words, he said, I, I got to um, I got to experience his power in a way I wouldn't have known any other way. That's how he took pleasure. It's like, I get to see a part of God's power that I wouldn't be able to see any other way. Here's what Paul essentially said. When grace becomes more distinguishable, when I have become more incapable. Grace, the more incapable I am, the more distinguishable God's grace is. I mean, this is how we see God in salvation. You can't save yourself. You can't be good enough. You can't be smart enough. You can't fulfill all the law. Even if you knew all the law, you couldn't fulfill it. You can't find your way back to God. You you can't be good enough for God. We are completely lost and without hope apart from Jesus. Yet Jesus comes and the Bible says, and while you were yet in your sin, Christ died for the ungodly to bring you back to God. Like Christ does all the work because you're completely incapable of solving your salvation problem. You're completely incapable of solving that sin equals death problem. You have no answer. And so it's easy to see the matchless grace of God in salvation because God comes to us and said, I paid because you can't. I did it because you can't. I made a way because you can't. And when it, when we're completely incapable, his grace is so distinguishable. And that's what Paul said in this situation, in this situation, I can't fix it. But I get to see God's grace. You know what I love is is God said, my grace is sufficient. My grace is enough. Grace is enough. Because it implies that God actually measured the two against each other. Think about this. If I were going to engineer a chair, I would have to do a study on, on the average human and get a range of their height and get a range of their weight. Because I wouldn't want to build a chair for for like my wife. But then if I sat in it, it collapsed. So I would need to build the chair that would hold me so it would hold other people as well. Are you with me? And so I'd engineer the chair in such a way that I knew it would hold whatever weight was put on it. And so here's what God says. My grace is enough. Like Paul, let me help you this. I've looked at your struggle and I can tell you my grace is sufficient. My grace will hold up what you're going through. My grace will will hold up under what you're going. You can sit your struggle in the grace of my chair and it won't collapse. Your life's not going to fall apart. You're not going to be lost through this. That I have measured the two and I can tell you that my grace is greater than your thorn. My grace is more sufficient and more powerful than what you're like. I've measured the two and it will hold you up, Paul. And I'm telling you, in your struggle right now, you may think you're alone, but I'm telling you, if you're walking through something and you've got a thorn in your flesh today, let me help you with something. God has measured it and he'll hold you up. He has measured it and he will sustain you. He has measured it and he has more grace than you have struggle and he has more power than you have weakness. Here's the third thing. The third thing is that God can do more with your weakness than your strength. And I'll just be honest, I don't like this point. Can I, speak? I wrote it, but only because God made me. <laughs> but I don't really like it. Paul says this in, in verse 10, 2 Corinthians 12. He says this, 
then I'll take pleasure in my weakness. Time out. What? Like how many, how many had this talk with God? I walked through it, God, but I don't have to like it. Can we just be on it? Because I've done that. I've done that. Okay, God, I don't have to like it, but I'll walk through it because you're not doing anything else. Isn't that such a great attitude? Don't you hate here? I don't know what you think about me that I have similar struggles. Maybe you, maybe you're more holy. Maybe you're like, oh, I just glory. I glory in it. Oh, Lord, it hurts so good. Thank you, Jesus. But remember, I'm allergic to pain. Any kind allergic. Bad reactions. And so when Paul says, I take pleasure in my weaknesses, I'm like, that's amazing. Like, oh my God, if I ever got, I don't want to have enough weakness to get to that place. I don't want to have enough struggle. I probably do. But I, Lord, I don't know how you get to that place. But all of a sudden, like Paul's like, I take pleasure in my weakness. Bro, you need to get out. Um, but it says, I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. And look at this. He says, for when I'm weak, like Paul found the secret. When I'm weak, that's where power is. When I'm weak, that's where strength is. So many times we're wanting to see the power of God. We just don't want to be vulnerable enough in our weakness to see it. Because isn't it true, isn't it true, that you want to be known more for your strengths? I mean, that's what you post about on Instagram, is your strengths, right? I'm the same way. That's what I would do. Like, you don't, you don't put on it. Like, if you're one of the people that put all your stuff on that's a different, because Instagram can't be your counselor, okay? You need to get a therapist. And so, um, but I'm just saying most people, we, we, we post the good stuff. And so I want to be known for my strengths. I, 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 don't, I don't want to stand up and say, let me tell you about all my weaknesses. I, I, want, I want people to see my weaknesses and celebrate. I'm, I'm sorry, I want people to see my strengths and celebrate my strengths. I don't want people to see my weaknesses. In, in fact, I heard a statistic the other day, Generation Z, those 4 to 24. I think I told you this already. Um, but, but there's this trend that they'll leave the faith. And, and part of that I thought about was maybe it's because we've taught them the right things to do, the right things to say, but they've never seen us in the struggle because we've taught them the faith confession. Just say, I'm blessed and highly favored. Just go on. Just pretend it's not there. Just, right? And you show up at church, I'm blessed and highly favored. And they know you were cussing out your, mom, uh, your wife in the car. And they're like, well, this doesn't seem right, you know? And, and because we, and maybe, maybe there's something to be gained in celebrating some weaknesses, Maybe that's where power, think about Moses. God says, hey, I want you to go talk to the most powerful man in the world at the time, Pharaoh. And Moses, the Bible says, was slow to speech, meaning he probably had a stutter or some type of speech impediment. So God comes to a man who's running from Egypt out in the desert, who has problems talking and says, I want you to go talk to my people on my behalf and Pharaoh on my behalf. Why? Because when you're weak. Or, 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 or how, about, how about this? I mean, we, we, I mean the list goes on. So, so there's Moses, and then there's Abraham. I want to build a great nation, so I'll pick two people that can't have kids. 
And I'll show up and say, guess what? The stork's coming. You know, it's it's, it's going to take a while, about 25 years, but he's going to get here. It's the slowest stork. What about, what about Peter? Because Peter's preaching one time and it says they discerned that he was an unlearned man. Let me help you something. They said, bro's not been to school. But yet they marveled at the power of God coming from his words, which were uneducated words. This is what gives me hope, right? And Peter then, an unlearned man who, who denied Christ, stands up on the day of Pentecost and preaches the first evangelical gospel message and sees 3,000 people won to Christ. And his, the writings of this unlearned man are actually in our New Testament. He got two books. He got a book deal with God. I mean, Tyndale's awesome, but he got a book deal with God. What about David? David says, in, in iniquity, I was conceived. In iniquity, I was conceived. And then he says this. He says, but, but in other words, back up. So in iniquity, I was conceived. What they believe is that he was an illegitimate child. That, that he was illegitimate. And that's why when Samuel came to anoint a king, they didn't call him in. Because he, he was half a brother. And yet God's like, oh, the one who's, who's lived under the cloak of shame and guilt, the one that's lived under the cloud of rejection, that's the one I see the king in. That's the one I can use to father a people. That's the one I can use to govern a nation. Here's what Paul said in um, Philippians 3 verse 4. He says, though... I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. In other words, again, I have bragging rights. If anyone else thinks they have more reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Again, I know more than you. Circumcised on, now, now here's, his, here's, here's his pedigree. Here, here's his credentials. Circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel. That's Hebrew, right? Uh, a tribe of Benjamin. That's kingdom of, uh, kingdom of kings or, or kings, right? So tribe of kings. Uh, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to, as to zeal, a persecuted church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But then he says, whatever I thought was gain, I counted as lost. I count everything as lost to, to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ. He said, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Old King James, dung. That's a better picture. In, other, in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness of my own, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, that righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings be conformed to the image of his death, whereby I might obtain the resurrection from the dead. Here's what Paul said. I have all these strengths. We know he spoke multiple languages. We, we, we know that, that he studied at the feet of Gamaliel, which is like saying I learned evangelism from Billy Graham. Like we know all these amazing things about, about Paul. And here's what he said. I have, I have pedigree. I have position. I have poise. Like I have every qualification, strength, and ability. I have it all. But he said, none of it is where the power of God was seen in my life. The power of God was seen in my life through my weaknesses. Because when I work in my strength, you see me. But when something starts working in my weaknesses, you see God. And what he was saying is, I thank God for all of this, but I consider it lost because that's not where the power was. 
That's not where the power came in. That's not where, where I saw God's power most. And all those things, I could see my strength and all those things, I could see my ability, but it was this thorn. It was this weakness. It was the things where I was incapable, where I saw the grace and power of God. And I think many times we look at our struggles and we look at our thorns and we look at our opposition and the things we're going through and we think this is what disqualifies me. This is what keeps me from God doing anything in my life. This is what's wrong with me. Or there is something wrong with me because, and this is what I'm saying. No, would you reconsider your thorn today? Would you reconsider your thorn that maybe that opposition is opportunity? Maybe it's not what disqualifies you. Maybe it is what opens the door for God to move powerfully in your life. That, that instead of covering up and hiding where you're weak, say, no, it is in this weakness that I will see the strength and the power of God. I'm not going to run from it. I'm not going to hide from it. I'm going to take pleasure and embrace it because when I am weak, then God is strong. That God's power works best in your weakness. So maybe today, maybe today, your struggle, your opposition, your hardship, your weakness is an opportunity. If you embrace it, you'll see the power of God in your life, in your relationships, in your business, because his strength is made perfect in your weakness. God wants to use your strength, but he desperately desires to use your weakness. And when you are weak, then you are strong. Amen. Can you give Jesus one more praise for his word? That's so good. Will you, will you stand in the presence of God? And